The word of the Lord from Mark uh, chapter 4, beginning verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depths of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Altogether, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Remain standing. Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you, and we pray that uh, you would find in our hearts um, a softness, a soft soil, that we would um, listen and give ourselves fully to your word. Lord, I know that some of us uh, have come today with joy, but I also know that there is heartbreak with those that we love today. I know this is true. And so I pray for all of us that for a moment, we could just focus on you, and that your, your spirit would provide for us everything we need as we feast on your word, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, good morning. Uh, I'm Ronnie. If, uh, if you're new, it's a real pleasure to be with you. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, the, the creator of the universe... He stepped out of heaven, took the form of a little baby. And both his enemies and his friends knew uh, that Jesus was this promised king. Wise men brought him gifts. Uh, Herod tried to kill him. And this small baby would uh, very quickly begin his ascent to the throne. 
This was the promised king who would set the captives free. And in those days, Israel lived in the promised land, but they didn't have a king. They were an oppressed people living under a wicked king, just like the Israels were when they were slaves in Egypt. And so they were looking for a new exodus. Israel knew from their prophets that this promised king was coming. And the question was, could it be Jesus? Could Jesus be this promised Messiah? And so Jesus began to draw these crowds. People flocked to him. They desperately wanted to hear what he had to say. But when he spoke, the words of Jesus were not received by everyone. And today we're going to learn about the internal dynamics of listening with faith. Uh, but before I do, in this introduction, let me think about uh, listening with um, Let me think about the external dynamics with you. See, just about every parable of Jesus, and he often teaches in parables, deals with the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is presented as the king who is bringing his kingdom, right? Kings and kingdoms go together. Uh, The people believed this. In fact, they'd always believed this. This was not new. They never would have gathered around a lake by the thousands simply to hear Jesus say that. That wasn't new. Why did people flock to Jesus? They came because they thought that this new exodus was already beginning and that Jesus was a part of it. They came because they were sure that Jesus would explain how the one true God was beginning to rescue them from their enemies. They came because they were sure that Jesus was their leader, this promised king. And the, and the problem, though, what happens is when this king starts getting into the details of the kingdom. See, Jesus was always teaching about the kingdom of God, which is God's reign and what it looks like. And so all of these like acts of healing and forgiveness These were like living parables, right, of his kingdom. In the Gospel of Mark, you know, if you're familiar with it, it moves very quickly. Now, we're in chapter 4. By chapter 4, Jesus' ministry is in full swing. Massive crowds. People are watching this remarkable man. And what's interesting is that although, like, Mark, as a general rule, is very economical with his stories, in chapter 4, Mark, the author, he slows down. And Jesus here is not simply depicted as teaching. For the first time in the Gospels, we get to see the content of what he's teaching. And what is it that we find when we look? What we find is that it's cryptic. We get these like cryptic parables. Like if you, like think about this, like if you're into public speaking, like I do a little bit of that, I guess. Um, What do you aim for? Clarity. Clarity. You try to persuade. You try to keep people from falling asleep. Unless you just had a baby, then you can absolutely fall asleep. You got permission. Um, Right? But then we look at Jesus, and like you, you get none of those like speaking techniques. Jesus does not seem interested in selling his message. And so, like, we don't quite know what to do with this, right? I mean, what's up with these parables? Are they just like good memory devices? Is he trying to confuse? Maybe I could illustrate it like this. When the pandemic first kicked off, like the first few months where all of us were locked inside our homes, 
I read all seven books of Harry Potter. Just pounded them out, super late to the game. My kids had already read them like years earlier. Um, And uh, the truth is, I read the books well after the movies had come out, and I broke the rule. You know, you always read the books before watching the movies. I didn't do that. Uh, not only did I break the rules of watching the movies first, but I didn't even watch all the movies. I watched like movie one, movie three, and movie eight or seven B, right? With no knowledge of the actual books. So I watched the eighth movie in the cinema, which is like the second half of the seventh book. Okay. So if y'all remember when that eighth movie came out, there's like a lot of buzz. People are getting weird about it. Like people are like Hogwarts coming with like, like capes and like wands to the movie theater. Like super nerdy about it. Very active audience. I was like on one of the early nights of its opening. So I'm, I'm in this with this very active audience in the cinema. At one point, Ron Weasley makes a joke. And like in the entire theater busts out laughing. And I'm like, that's not funny. Like I don't, I don't get it. At that moment, I realized something important. I am not an insider in the Harry Potter world, right? I'm an outsider. Uh, That joke, the way that that joke was perplexing to me is actually similar to what many of these parables did to the listeners of Jesus. And Jesus does this on purpose. Jesus is using parables to distinguish who's on the inside and who's on the outside. Now, listen, this inside-outside dynamic is profoundly human. Uh, We all have this longing to be on the inside, right? I can remember when I first went to the Air Force Academy for a visit as a high schooler. You know, I'm talking to all the cadets. They have this whole set of vocabulary, and they have these jokes. None of it had—I mean, it's like a whole different language. had no idea what they are even talking about. Fast forward one year, right? I'm invited, I'm recognized into the cadet wing. I know the vocabulary, I know the stories, I know the jokes. I was an insider. The language all made sense. And it feels good to be in the inner circle. Now that dynamic gets twisted, but it's very real. And, and we bring this thought, this idea to Jesus. Being an insider in the kingdom of God It's not about being liked or cool. It's not about knowing the right churchy words. Jesus doesn't distinguish between those who've read the books or seen the movies or knowing the lingo or the success of a social media post or your friendship group. For Jesus, what distinguishes insiders from outsiders is this question that he asks us. Are you truly listening to me? Listening. Jesus is surrounded, you guys, by masses who are hanging on every word. And yet one thing becomes extremely clear. You can hear him and not listen to him. Right? It's the quality of listening. This is how insiders and outsiders are separated. It's the manner in which you listen that reveals your attitude to this king. Now, these crowds wanted something from him, and he had something to give them, uh, more than they even understood, actually. But it comes in the form of a parable, and so you have to listen differently. Our ability to listen shows our position in the kingdom of God. And this is the criteria about, uh, uh, between those who get it and those who don't. 
So let's dive into the details of this passage with those two questions. With the two questions, the first being, "What are you listening for?" and then second, "How is it you're listening?" All right. So let's let's think about that first question. What are you listening for? And we're going to do that by diving into the context. Jump with me right into the middle of our passage. It begins in verse 10. It says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." Wow. All right. So is Jesus like intentionally confusing people? Yeah, kind of, right? I know this is super unexpected, but stay with me. Why would he do this? Jesus knows that what he is offering is so off-putting that if he came right out and said it, they would kill him. Right? Like literally the masses would turn against him if he were clear. Listen, the crowds wanted many things. They, many of them wanted to be healed. Uh, many of them wanted food. Some were just kind of participating in the local buzz. But the vast majority were there because just maybe Jesus was this Messiah. And what that meant to them was that it would mean that he would overthrow Rome and bring glory back to the Davidic throne. Right? He would like build back better temples or something, right? Like that's what they're, that's what they're signing up for. And he, they thought he would do it. Here's the thing. Jesus isn't offering that. What Jesus is offering is different. And if they knew what he was really offering, it's so off-putting, it's so unthinkable that they would kill him. Now listen, Jesus is not afraid of being killed. In fact, the gospel of Mark is getting to that. Jesus will die. He knows what his life is about. He's not actually trying to avoid it, but not yet. He has a few things that he needs to do first. So he cloaks his confrontations in parables. And if you are listening in a certain way, you could pick up what he's throwing down, right? right? So we must ask, what were the crowds listening for? The crowd was listening for what they wanted, to hear what they wanted. And so we got to ask, what is it that we want to hear from Jesus? Or maybe we should just ask it plainly. What do we want? What do we want? Are we here because we want something and that Jesus Christ is the best option to get it? Like he's helpful, he's useful, or are we willing to be confronted and contradicted? Like we need to, like fam, we need to think through this. Because those who listen for what they want, those are the ones on the outside. But those select few who want deeper understanding, who for more depth, and maybe they have some depth, but they want to sit under Jesus and take whatever he is offering to them has been given the key to unlock the secret of the kingdom. They were listening 
with submission to who he was and what he was offering, no matter what it was he was offering, you see. It wasn't that they want something from Jesus. It's that they wanted Jesus. They wanted him, he, Jesus himself, no matter what, like whatever that would mean. Like even if that meant suffering, please, Lord, give me you. Now let me illustrate how submission, and that's the most popular word in our culture right now, right? We just love that word. Uh, let me just illustrate how submission is actually the difference between hearing and listening uh, with my own parable. So two men, they go to the doctor for a checkup, same day. Turns out both of them are pretty close to becoming diabetic. Maybe they're pre-diabetic. So they go, and the doctor, of course, does all of these tests, whatever doctors do, blood tests and so forth, and, you know, pulls them aside individually uh, and says to them, gives them the same the same diagnosis, and basically says, hey, look, you got to change. You know, you got to change your diet. You got to change your lifestyle. You got to get out of the house. You, man, you got to put on some tennis shoes. You got to walk. You got to, you know, do some exercise. So the first man looks at the doctor and says, hey, I hear you, but my knee hurts, and my back is not great, and I kind of have a sweet tooth. Like, I like cake, Right? So, Doc, look, I, I just came here because I wanted a checkup, and you're asking me to change my life, a life that I like. What's the result? He ends up getting type 2 diabetes, amputates the leg, ends up dying early. Now, the, the doctor says the same thing to the second guy, but he thinks to himself, this doctor, she's amazing. She knows what she's talking about. She's super smart. She has other patients that look like me. Like, this isn't her first rodeo. Like, she knows something. And so what does he do? He changes, and he exercises, and he eats salads and, like, carrots for the first time in his life, right? And turns, he turns his life around, and he lives a long, healthy life. That's the parable. Who's the doctor? And who are the diabetes patients? And which one are you? Like, are you going to listen? See, submission unlocks potential for greater listening and understanding. Listening is submission, you see. But back to Jesus, for those who wanted something from him, that's not submission. That's like a a transactional relationship. And when you listen with that kind of framework, when you're listening to see what you can get from Jesus, it actually makes long-term faith, not just a season of faith when you're in college, but walking with Jesus for a lifetime, it makes it virtually impossible if that's how you're listening. So you have to ask, what are you listening to Jesus for? We have to shore this up in our hearts. And this moves us to our second question. And the second question is allow us to do a little bit deeper analysis in our own heart. And that's, 
how are you listening? Like, how are you listening? And this is where the details of the four soils becomes really helpful. But let's, I'm gonna, we're going to get to this, but let's, let's do something real quick before we do. As we sit under this parable of Jesus, let this be a diagnosis for you. As you listen to these red letters from Jesus, um, I don't want you to think about your spouse. I don't want you to think about your children. I don't want you to think about the person you're with. Let this diagnosis be for you. Let this, be, let, let this be about you. All right, can we do that? Let's do that. In this parable, four kinds of soil. Let's look at the first soil. It's the, the first one is the soil along the path. Look with me there in verse 3 and 4. Jesus says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And now Jesus interprets this for us in a private setting. Look there in verse 15, his interpretation. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So this soil where the seed has fallen is, this is the heart that is hardened, right? This is the heart that is so trampled down and worn that's become like compacted, right? Now, how do you know if this is your compacted heart? It might be because when we talk about the gospel, it might feel cliche. Uh, maybe you're bored with it. Maybe, maybe the gospel is falling on deaf or indifferent ears, which makes it a little bit inconspicuous. Listen, Satan according to Jesus, works primarily in our indifference, in our boredom. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis, he writes uh, Screw Tape Letters, terrific book. If you're not familiar with it, basically it's a series of letters that depicts like this expert demon, Uncle Screw Tape, giving instruction and training to his novice uh, demon nephew, Wormwood, who's like in training, learning how to be a more uh, successful demon, right? And he, he writes this crazy prophetic advice. He says, I, the devil, will always see to it that there are bad people. Your job, my dear Wormwood, is to pro provide me with people who do not care. Like indifference is like another form of hatred. It's poisonous. Cynicism, indifference. A hard heart is mostly indifferent. The hard heart is the most vulnerable. We're getting picked off. And so what would good listening look like if this is you? It means changing our actions. Listen, the way, uh, the way we act affects our desires. Now, the opposite is true. We, that's the one we talk about most of all, that we desire certain things and so we act. But it goes both ways. The way we act affects our desires. So if, and since that's true, perhaps we could admit this hard-heartedness by saying, uh, Lord, I'm cynical about this Christian thing, but I am going to choose, I'm going to work, I'm going to choose actions that shape 
my desires. And maybe that's prioritizing spending time with people who love Jesus. Like, like if you know me, like I'm super nuts about MLB and Houston Astros. I just like love baseball so much, and I just think about it too much, probably. But then, but when I really love it is when I'm around other people who are just outrageously in love with baseball the way I am. Like their love is like really contagious, and being around them makes it makes me nuttier about it, because um, that's how it works. When you choose these new actions or these new people, being around people who love Jesus, you might just start waking up with an infectious love. That's why community is not an option. God uses those moments. And so you need to think about your life and ask, like, what choices am I making that will ultimately awaken a love for Jesus? Like, I don't have it right now, but I will choose actions that will awaken my love. So that's the first diagnosis. There's a next one. There's another one. This, the next one is the rocky soil. Read with me there verses 5 and 6. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Again, the interpretation comes, verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who... When they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. But then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So the rocky soil is the heart that hears, but there's a shallow reception, right? Now, this self-diagnosis is a little bit difficult, um, admittedly, because we don't realize that we're rocky soil except in retrospect, right? Like, tough time comes and you realize, man, maybe I was shallow. Like, maybe my faith was not deep enough to keep me from having resentment with God because I didn't understand the role of persecution or the role of tribulation in its relationship with the sovereignty of God. As American Christians, uh, we don't have much persecution. Uh, we do have tri tribulation, right? We have sad things, d disappointing things, uh, broken dreams. Um, I actually hope that maybe in the next year uh, I can do an entire sermon series just on suffering and the sovereignty of God. For now, let me just make one observation and, and this is one that I've made since I've uh, been back in the United States. Um, when I lived in Puerto Rico, life was like messier. Uh, life is harder in Puerto Rico. You know, between national disasters, hurricanes, uh, crime, fragile health care, poverty, like life is harder in Puerto Rico. And as a result, um, what I have found is that Christians in Puerto Rico... Uh, relate to God differently than American Christians. And suffering and pain, it acts on every person differently, particularly as they relate to how they were sort of reared. 
and assimilated into how they with culture and God. And this is actually why I have personally been so changed by Puerto Rican spirituality. Like when hard times come, tribulation, when it comes, no one's the same. No, no one can leave tribulation unchanged. Either you shake your fist at God and ask, well, like, why didn't you keep this from happening? You're God, you could have. And you shake your fist at God. Or you cling tighter to Jesus, tighter than ever before, because although everything was taken away from you, God wasn't. And you say, all I have is you, Lord. And you draw closer. I have... I have found that my brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico, like they have suffered so much. Life is harder, and that's made them more buoyant in really hard times. Listen, because like this is like not theoretical at all. Like I have held lifeless babies in my arms. I have buried young men three months after I married them. I have done... Like, I have been with people the hardest times. And because the Lord himself was not taken away, however bad their tribulation was, they could hang on in hard times. They didn't get philosophical about their doubts in that moment. They clung to Jesus with tear-stained cheeks. But they clung more tightly. And so you have to ask, are you, ro- do you, are you the rocky soil? Like when you first heard the word, the gospel, was there a joy? Like, like there, there's this emotional response, but one that could be stolen or drowned out or dulled by a second emotion, but maybe that second one was negative. How is it that you're listening to Jesus? Is it with Saki? with rocky soil heart or, or, or with faith? Is it a superficial listening? Like can your, can your faith get scorched by the heat of tribulation? We gotta, we gotta shore this up, fam. All right, let's move to uh, Jesus telling us about the thorny soil. The third soil. Let's look back in our text, verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And then, of course, Jesus interprets again. Jump to verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world are and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, just warning, as I do this one, I'm doing it as a hypocrite, because I suspect that I am most susceptible to this one. I think about how much time do I spend just thinking about the good things in this life, like my house and money and vacations, I don't know. Suppose I'm not too different than most. And you know, as I think about it for myself, I wonder, like, do I, like, I was kind of raised in this, like, immigrant context where succeeding or getting out of the barrio is, like, the primary evidence 
that you made it, right? Like little Mexican kids, right? That's what we were told. Like, I, I, that's how I know that I made it. And maybe that sort of upbringing interacted with my sinful predisposition and it created this disproportionate appetite for riches. Now, I don't know why I'm doing group-wide, church-wide therapy with you right now, so I'm going to stop. But I do want to like listen closely to the call for comfort verse, and, and how I listen more carefully to the call for comfort than to the call for faithfulness, right? And how would I know if I'm listening to one or the, one or the other? How would I know? Uh, it, the reason why I ask that question is because Jesus actually says that these riches are deceitful. Like that's his word, verse 19. They deceive, deceitful riches. They, they trick you. You are unaware of your privilege, it's deceitful. Of the hunger, you're unaware that you have a disproportionate hunger for the things of this world. And then when they're taken away, it's devastating. And I mean devastating. It actually chokes out your faith. That's how much of a bummer it is. It's like the Wall Street guy who loses $100 million in a terrible deal, and now he only has half a million dollars to his name, and so he takes a bullet, a gun to his head, and puts a bullet in his, in his brain. Like, in what universe is half a million dollars not enough? I imagine it's the universe that you and I are living in. Right? How are you listening to Jesus? Is your heart more in love with or set upon riches and experiences than it is upon Jesus? And therefore, at risk of being choked out, where you can't hear this call to faithfulness. All right, let me conclude with, um, I'm going to summarize, and then we'll just finish with evaluating this good soil. So Jesus is speaking in parables, because he's trying to see who's an insider, right? Many of his listeners will hear, but they won't understand. And often, they don't even understand that they don't understand. And why is that? It's because listening is hearing with submission, but they're not ready. And so to wrap our hearts around this cryptic text, we asked ourselves, what are you listening for and how are you listening? Like what kind of soil is your heart? And the first three soils are, are people who listen poorly because at its heart, it means that they're listening for what they can get out of Jesus, right? It's not, instead of Jesus himself. So let's finish with this good soil. Look at verse 8. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And then jump to verse 20. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. So what is the good soil? Well, this is not listening for information. This isn't listening only with emotions. It's not listening with a divided heart. 
what it means is, is you're giving yourself to it. You receive it with faith as truth. You, you allow the seed, right, that's to say the kingdom, to completely reorder this little garden that resides in your heart. Now, it's really interesting. Um, in, in verse 16, when he's talking about the rocky soil, when he's talking about that initial reception to the word in the rocky soil, it says that he receives it with joy. And when you look at that word receive there in verse 16, um, the Greek word there is lambano. That's a pretty ordinary word. It's the word that we'd use to describe when a person receives a thing. Like uh, you give me a Bible and I just, I receive it. I receive the book, right? Ordinary word. But in verse 20, in our passage, in the good, in our, the one we're looking for right now, looking in right now, the good soil, it says the one who hears the word and accepts it or receives it bears much fruit. In the Greek, there's a different word there. The word changes. In this case, the Greek word is paradekomai, another ordinary word. But this word, when it's used to describe receiving or reception, it means something different. It means if you would use this word to describe being received into membership. Like a member is not receiving a thing. He, he or she is receiving a, a status. Or like when a parent receives a, an adopted child, the reception of that child means that there will be this fundamental change in the composition of the family, right? The family reception means a deep change. Like there's this a constitutional, there's a makeup change, Right? The family's not getting a book. It's not getting an accessory. There is this change in the constitution of what it even means to be a family. Like the whole thing changes. That's what it means. That's what paradecomai means, to receive. Y'all seeing this? Are y'all following this? For the heart to listen in a way that is analogous to this good soil, then it means that it must receive the word. That it's got to let it change its composition to let it do its thing. That's the good soil. God, I don't know how you feel right now. Like, my fear is that um, sermons like this make you feel guilty. I don't want that. Now, some of you need to let the gospel like, grab you by the throat by, for the first time. That might be some of you. Others uh, maybe just need to deepen your understanding of the gospel uh, you know that your garden is not producing fruit, right? Uh, I don't, I don't want to leave you with guilt. I want to leave you like with joy and following Jesus, your Savior. But some of you, when you look at your souls, you're, you're asking, right, what, what kind of soil am I? And when you inspect yourself, you, you see a little garden with thorns and rocks. Is that you? That's me too. That's me too. Where, where are we going to find the faith or, or the fuel to emblazon our faith? And here's, here's where it is. And this is the beauty of this parable. The sower, the sower in this parable is Jesus, you guys. He's the one who's charged with caring for this harvest. That's not your job. He's the gardener, not you, who cares for the garden. Are there 
thorns in your garden, the gardener takes them, turns them into a crown of thorns, and puts them on his own brow. Are there rocks in your garden? The gardener takes the biggest one, and he uses it to roll over the tomb in which he was laid. This is your king. This gardener is your king, and this is what his kingdom is like. He's going to do the work. Our job is to listen, to receive this word. See, Jesus announces this word, but it's more than that. He is the word. He who has ears, let him hear. Our king has come. Amen.